You're listening to Ed Curation, where teachers talk about their favorite uncurriculum products that produce fresh, lively, and authentic learning. I'm your host, Timory Tolney, and I look forward to learning alongside you about the tools that help create magic in K-12 classrooms. So I am so excited to have Cody Kelly here on the podcast today. Cody and I go way back. Cody was actually my student teacher way back in the day at a Rupe Jesuit high school. And more than a student teacher, she actually rushed straight from student teaching a couple weeks into being the teacher of record of my class because I had some health issues and had to step out. And so she's just a rock star and caught the teaching bug and been teaching ever since all over the world, actually. So how long have you been teaching now? I'm on year seven, seven years. It feels like longer sometimes, but that's only been seven. But there was a break in between there. You know, I went off and did some traveling aside from teaching in the middle. So I think for my age, it feels like it should be longer, but (laughs) it's not seven years. Seven years is a long time. And you've taught in a variety of places in those seven years. Yeah, yeah. I've taught at a couple of inner city schools in Denver, Colorado, both private and public. And then I taught in Ecuador as well at a private school there, an Ivy private school. Very different sort of teaching experiences, but also very similar in a lot of ways. You know, teenagers tend to run a lot of commonalities no matter where they're from. Right. And so talk to us about what you're teaching now, where, what your student population is like. So right now I'm at Westminster High School in Denver, Colorado. We are predominantly Hispanic and Asian population. I think we're at like 79% Hispanic population and something like 72, 73% reduced lunch, free and reduced lunch as well. So pretty poor community, a lot of English language learners, a lot of kids who sort of come from different cultures, different backgrounds, all wrapped up into one classroom. Currently, I'm teaching 11th and 12th grade English language arts. I teach a general level junior year course, and then I teach senior IB world literature right now as well. Oh, that's exciting. Tell us what you like about teaching. What keeps you there seven years going and into the future? I think it's really all about watching kids come to this place where they realize something. And whether that be about content or a book we're reading or about themselves, I think it's really phenomenal to see human growth, to see the mind change and see how that change then reflects in behaviors and personalities and you really sort of watch them become adults. And I think I'm really sort of keen to this right now because half of my students are about to graduate and go out into the world. And I'm really sort of seeing this massive progression that they've made in their life. I think it's about that, seeing them engage with not only their community and themselves, but engage with the world in you know, a meaningful way that impacts them personally as well. I would imagine that teaching juniors and seniors and IB level courses. Some of your seniors have been with you for a few years now, if I remember. Yeah, that, yeah. Right? And I loop with my with my IB course. So I've had these kids for two years and then some of them I taught as sophomores as well. So there's a good chunk of them that I taught for this is their third year with me. So as you are facilitating their growth and intellectual evolution, is there a particular curriculum, tool or resource that you have found to be particularly helpful to your work? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many things I feel like I could talk about. But I think the thing that helps me do ultimately all the hard work in the end is called Kagan Cooperative Learning. It can be quite common in some schools and some areas of the U.S. 
but it's essentially just a system. It's a tool for engaged classroom activities and student engagement. When I first heard about it, it can be sort of a little cheesy sort of at parts. It's definitely geared more towards primary elementary school populations. But really what I found is that it gave a name and it gave a label for what I was already doing. And then it gave me more processes that allowed me to do what I was doing more effectively and more authentically in a way that ensured everybody was getting something out of it. So how did you first learn about Kagan Cooperative Learning? Through my school district, our district itself took it on as a school-wide tool that they wanted all teachers using within the classroom. And like I said, it naturally kind of gave a name to what I already did. So I just clung on to it right away and was using the structures like crazy and have since then become a Kagan coach within my school. So I go into other teacher classrooms and give them feedback and advice on how to be more Kagan and how to get more engagement within the room. So when you were first introduced to this, did you participate in training and professional development? Did you receive resources or books? Yes. Or? yes. There's definitely training that's involved. And, and because it's a very particular sort of process and set of structures, they want you doing them appropriately and accurately. Because if you're not, you're not really getting the full benefit of them. So there was, yeah, a series of days initially. There was, I think, one or two initial training days. And then as I sort of started climbing the Kagan ladder, so to speak, and doing more of the coaching role, there's been about six different training days that I've taken on. But I think just initially, it's a couple of days. But I think you can still just buy resources and and some of their textbooks that they have out there without actually attending a training. You can Mm -hmm. still incorporate the processes into your classroom without going to some massively expensive or time-consuming training as well. And so do those books, maybe when you're first starting, did you continue to reference them? As yes, to and I still kind of utilize do. those resources and processes? Yes, and I still do yeah. because what's so great about them is literally they're a set of activities, essentially. And some of them are traditional things that people have been using forever and have known about, like Think, Pair, Share. They just you know, sort of have different names, but it's the idea that students learn more and they, they learn better when they're engaging with the content with each other and they're sort of mm-hmm. digging through their questions themselves. And so because they're a set of systems and processes, you have to practice and play with them a little bit to get used to them. So I would recommend that a teacher starts with three different structures that they're going to try in their room. They only use those three structures for a couple of months. Get the kids used to them, get them doing them on their own, self-initiated without any guidance. And then you sort of add more structures from there. So there's like upwards of 30 plus structures you can use within Kagan. The first set of more popular ones, there's about 20 or so. I don't know them all. I still have years and months and and units where I say, let's do something different and then we'll learn a new structure and we'll sort of learn it together as a class. We do something really relatable, student life, student culture, what's going on in the world. And then we'll use the structure once we understand how to do it in a more content-related activity. So it's fun for the kids because it's something new. They realize that, you know, they're kind of getting better and mastering something. And these structures are basic for thinking processes, things that kids do on their own when they get to college and study groups with friends. It's something that can be used in multiple sort of settings. So what have you been able to achieve using Kagan Cooperative Learning that you don't think you would have been able to achieve otherwise? I think the biggest thing is effectiveness in engagement activities. You know, in the past, I would say, you know, turn to your neighbor and talk or think, pair, share this. And we would sort of do the same old things every once in a while, which then would kind of bore the kids after a while. 
And then additionally, sometimes they wouldn't necessarily talk or they would turn and look like they're talking about what they're supposed to be talking about, but maybe they're not. The system really allows you to ensure effectiveness and ensure 100% engagement from all students. How you get a lot that? less faking. Well, they have this, these four tenants they sort of rely on. Every structure has to ensure these four things for it to be effective. They use this acronym called PIES, P-I-E-S, P standing for positive interdependence, I is individual accountability, E is equal participation, and S is simultaneous interaction. And so with any given structure, you're usually producing something, whether that be a brainstorm list or an activity or whatever the case may be. And so these different structures encourage and ensure that each kid has to be a piece of the puzzle. And so the whole thing doesn't get completed unless if one kid doesn't sort of do their part. And they have to be accountable to each other as well, depending on how you do your closing share out or whatnot. You do a lot of sort of random engagement calling. And so they know that they might be sharing something that somebody else said, maybe not what they said. And all they have to do is listen. And then I might call on them to have to you know, demonstrate that knowledge and that understanding that their group determines. So each structure sort of does this in a different way, but it makes sure that everyone is doing something at the same time. Everyone is participating in some individual way where they are going to have to show what they thought of and share it with someone and that it's positive and it's fun and it's not just boring as well. So there's a lot of sort of team building, group building that goes into it ahead of time to make it sort of work and fully function properly throughout the year. So I bet learning these strategies have really made you feel like an even more effective teacher. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it makes my job a bit easier. You know, I think as teachers, we get so stuck in this, this idea that maybe we are the expert and need to be sort of projecting the information to the students at the front of the room. And while that's necessary, sometimes <laughs> it's not true learning and they're not truly getting it. They're just hearing you. Right. And so it allows the kids to really actually apply what they're learning and see others applying it at the same time. And right there in that moment, they can determine what am I not doing that they are or vice versa. And how can we, you know, solidify our understanding? And, and then it takes that stress off of me as the teacher. I don't feel like I have to put on a, a show every day. Rather, they're the show. I give them the structure, the process to do the work effectively and the resources to, to make it happen. And then they do the process. And if it's already a well-understood process, something you've practiced with, you know, favorite hobbies or, or silly little sort of relatable content tasks, and really, you're just kind of setting up a series of activities that the kids can engage in that are not only effective, but meaningful, and they feel like their voice matters. Can you talk about any teaching skills you've learned through this curriculum that you will continue to use for the rest of your teaching career, even if you don't have a Kagan cooperative learning you know, structure yeah. in front of you? Absolutely. I think some of the biggest things are, you know, that necessity of breaking and chunking down things. Even the smallest of things can be and should be broken down to be done well and to catch where they're not understanding. You could easily see in one round of some keg structure where one kid might be struggling with a small idea. And then right there, their group can help solve that problem. So the, the chunking of things, additionally, the, the idea of time and timeliness. I've noticed sort of in our population and then in this generation sort of in general, the sense of like urgency or timeliness has sort of fallen a bit down. 
big tasks on like major assessments for the SAT as a major example. Timing is such an important way that they should be understanding how they're going through the process. How much time am I spending here or there? And so it's, it's reminded me that we shouldn't give them all the time in the world. And some tasks are most effective when you say, you only have two minutes, go. And they love when, when they have that as well, because it creates this aspect of competition and like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this done first, or I'm going to be the one to do it on time. That gives them purpose, right? If we, if they don't have their own purpose for learning, they're not going to learn it. They're not going to learn it just because we tell them they should. And so something as small as, you know, a prize, a team builder with a reward at the end, um, timing things out and making sure that it's almost an uncompletable task, but if they really try, they could totally do it. It gives them this purpose. And, and then when they do it, then they've got the confidence to do the next thing, which is probably going to be harder and more rigorous. <laughs> you know, Cody, I love how you talked about that sense of urgency and sometimes giving students a task that's almost impossible to be completed in a short amount of time creates more motivation on their part. I used to see this a lot when I was an instructional coach that teachers sometimes would have a really good task for kids to do, but Uh they give them forever to do it. And as a result, it might take one group that long, but other groups could finish quicker. And so like the the motivation, the whole class just kind of went flat. Right. And making that time apparent using timer tools. Like if you've got to do now, and you've got five minutes to do it, they have to be done in that five minutes. And, and being really specific about the time, I think, is important because that shows them that you're paying attention, which means yeah. if you're paying attention to the time, you're paying attention to them. And what mm-hmm. they say and what they produce matters, which ultimately, I think, is, is the whole point of engagement. It doesn't matter that I speak. and <laughs> do my thoughts right. and ideas matter. And if we can encourage that in the classroom, not just from teacher to student, but from student to student. I think that's where it's hurting the most these days. Then, yeah, they're going to do it and they're going to want to do it. So do the students like the Kagan Cooperative Learning Strategy? Sometimes. <laughs> yes, they do. They do. <laughs> My IB kids love eat up everything I give them. So I think they're kind of an anomaly and I shouldn't really speak to them. So I'll speak to more of my general ed class. I think it all matters about how you set it up and the sort of tone and personality you bring with it. If you come and with it and you're like, oh, we're going to do this structure, but you haven't really thought about it. You haven't tried it yourself. You haven't thought about how you're going to sell it, right? Like anything is about selling it. And if they buy what you're giving them, then that's the point. And so it can be a little, I'm going to be honest, it can be a little cheesy sometimes. You know, there's a structure called fan and pick and you fan out questions to your neighbor you say, you know, pick a card, any card. And it's so, you know, dorky. But if I own that and I, you know, increase the level of dork and I make fun of it even, or I come up with another saying that I'm Kagan would not like you to do this, but come up with a different saying that the kids would be into instead of that, you know, it's about knowing your kids and making it relatable to them no matter what it is. And so you have to sort of, I find that honoring and acknowledging the cheese factor helps. And then once the structure is learned, they just do it. They just run it. And it becomes just another process for thinking and learning. And it gives you all the steps, like literally printables, things you can just copy and paste into a document or print the sheet and put it on the table. All the resources right there for both you and the students. And so I think they like that, that they can just look down on the table and see the fan and pick chart and move to the next thing without asking me questions, without feeling like they need teacher assistance to complete the, the activity. 
And I bet you also teach them the purpose of yes. these activities. So right? important, so important. And teaching them that it's not just about school. And I think that it's helpful that I've had like a wealth of experience. You know, I ran a restaurant for a while. I worked in the restaurant industry for years. I have, you know, traveled a lot. And in all of my experience, I have understood that engaging with other humans is the point. If you can't do that in some fashion, you're missing the boat. You're missing life. So I, I really talk to them about that and like being able to go to a job interview and talk to the guy who's interviewing you and not be awkward. And it's these moments where we are engaging with each other that we build those skills. We practice things we mm. can say. We get comfortable saying things that maybe we wouldn't say before. So that's why, you know, before you ever do the structure with say, you know, Hamlet, first you would do it with, you know, round robin at your table, your, the best detail of your weekend, use a descriptive noun, you know, and you can pull in vocabulary. You can say, pull, use a vocabulary from yesterday's list and quickly in one sentence, summarize what happened in that chapter. And each, each kid does a different chapter. And so you could do really small, quick things that allow them to practice their speaking and communicating skills, which ultimately, if they don't have that, they're going to struggle to get anywhere in today's world. Yeah, that's true. And we're seeing it as more and more of a problem with so much digital technology where students are less comfortable being face-to-face with others. So it's great when you can purposely bring, build that into your classroom learning opportunities. So tell me that, do you have any particular story about a student or a group of students or a class that achieved something noteworthy when they were using Kagan Cooperative Learning? Well, even like this last week, I saw some interesting stuff. So the SAT is coming up. And so obviously that's a big concern. So we've been working on some particular essential skills that are tested in the ICT. And then again, I'm telling them over and over again, these are all so good in life. <laughs> but things like command of evidence and being able to determine a word in a sentence and what it means, you know, words in context and some of those other sort of essential skills. And so I did a, a couple of days of teaching directly to those skills. And then I put them in stations and each station used a different structure to practice the skill. And what I often find in Kagan structures is there's usually a moment for either praise or revision, right? And so a student will provide an answer for something that's given. And then the next student's job is to say, awesome, I like the way you did blank. Or their job is to say, you're super close. Let's figure this out. And then they figure out the answer together. And so what I see is that it's allowing students to take ownership of their learning. And so in this last week, I gave them some little tools, some tips and strategies to approach command of evidence and words in context. And then they went into their groups and did their structure and they practiced questions together. And what we found was that rather than getting a question wrong and going, oh, that's wrong, I suck, and then moving on, the structure forced them to read the rationale, first of all, and look at why it was wrong. And then secondly, to go back and as a group, talk about it and discuss what could we have done differently that would have gotten us to that right answer. And then from there, you know, as a class, we shared out and we nailed it down to like two or three different specific types of questions within the words and context that were killing them, that were sticking them. And it was always those ones where the definition wasn't the traditional definition and that they needed to go find those operative words in the sentence that speak to the answer. And so... It allowed them to take ownership of their own misunderstandings first, 
And then once that part was done, then they could come to me with the bigger overall, this is what we think we're confused by. And then as a class, we can really zone in on the thing that's sticking them. I saw their SAT practice scores for both of those aspects increase by double across all three classes. And, you know, again, it's that engagement. It's not me standing up there and pointing at the board and saying, these are the three things you need to remember when you do this. It's them (laughs) Mm -hmm. looking at the question and identifying once they've tried to figure it out, what is it that I could do to get to this answer? You know, how does this make sense to me? And then using Mm -hmm. each other to solidify that understanding. Too often. so satisfying. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. And then you think, oh, why haven't I done this with everything forever? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. So I heard you say that in some cases, Kagan Cooperative Learning might seem a little elementary, but you are able to use it successfully with juniors and seniors. I know you teach English language arts. Are there particular content area teachers or grade level teachers that you think should check this out or does Kagan Cooperative Learning lend itself to some educational spaces better than others? Who do you think this would benefit? It benefits everyone because ultimately it's a classroom management and content processing tool. How do we get the kids doing something all together that they're supposed to be doing and processing the content? And the structure's built to provide all of those things. So literally you could be in gym class and you could do a quick round robin of the four stretches you learned in class yesterday as a quick warm-up review before you begin your day's activities. And it allows them to process what they learned yesterday and then apply that in some new way today. There's a structure for every sort of processing you could do. They even have a chart where you literally just say, okay, what is it I want them to do? Analyze or describe or review you know, they give all these words and you find that word on the chart and then you move your finger down the chart and it literally has a star next to every single procedure you could use in that regard. And then you pick one and you place your content into it. It takes maybe 20 minutes to prep at most. And that's for a structure that involves like making copies. Wow. <laughs> so great. anyone can use it and it's, it's like it makes classroom management a breeze because all those pieces are there. All those pies are there. So You know, you've got an amount of time that they have to do this thing in and everybody has a role and they all have to be done at this moment. And when they're done, they share out and then we move on. It's for anyone. It's for every classroom. Wow. Is there anything you'd like to say to the creators of Kagan Cooperative Learning? No, I don't think so. Just thanks for giving me a better way to do what I believed was proper teaching. You know, we used to do this in our classroom all the time. Like I learned it from you. Good learning isn't sitting in a desk and getting information. It's retrieving it. It's deciphering it. It's thinking about it. It's processing that information to come to understandings. So I just appreciate that they've set up an easy system that allows, you know, just anyone really to plug and play. Right. It makes planning less daunting for me, so much less daunting. If I'm in a rush, it's okay because all I have to do is pick a structure and roll with it. So, you know, honestly, I think that they've given me a name for what I know is right and good for kids, and they've given me more time in my life. (laughs) What do you think, now that you've got this down, it sounds like you're coaching others, you know it really, really well, as you're working to advance your instruction, is there another curriculum or resource that you're looking for? about curriculum. I've been, you know, I've been teaching IB, so I'm so into that. I could have just done this whole podcast on IB. I think it's so awesome. But I think maybe in terms of resources, 
how to get kids to write well, connect the rules and the little skills that we learn and actually have that happen when you sit down to write. And really, I think the answer there is practice. But I feel like there's got to be a better way to have kids bridge those two pieces. And then vocabulary, effective and meaningful ways to you know, incorporate good vocabulary daily. I feel like I get really sort of dumbed down with the same old things and then it gets sort of repetitive or we get busy and we don't focus on it as much. And there's been a couple of tools I've looked at. Vocabulary.com this year has been pretty helpful for me in that regard, but you have to pay to get some of the other (laughs) processes that I would want to use. And I'm just not willing. I think they make you pay as a district or as a school. So I don't even think it's something I could do on my own. I think what I'm looking for next is some good writing tools. There's the old standbys, like six traits of writing and lots of good stuff. But I guess I'm just a little spoiled with this piece that I don't know if there's anything out there that's so easy (laughs) that Mm -hmm. can literally Mm -hmm. just be grabbed and plugged into any moment in any day. I think more of that stuff because our jobs are so big and so heavy. You know, I've got one planning period and three preps. The more that we can make our lives easier, the more we can be there for our kids and show up for them every day and maintain good teachers who stay in the profession for long periods of time. It's a heavy job that if we don't have enough resources and we don't use them, we get burnout. We'll all poke around ed curation and see what uh, writing resources and vocabulary resources we might be able to to connect you with. So thank you so much for your time Oh, my pleasure. I really appreciate what you had to say. I love that you add a curriculum resource or teaching resource that works for all grade levels that probably some educators are familiar with pieces of, but Uh maybe don't know that they can just go buy this resource or attend a professional training. So I look forward to helping promote this good work you've been doing. Cool. Thank you, Timmy. I appreciate you reaching out and being interested in my perspective. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about the uncurriculum that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more.